Let's open with a word of prayer. God, we, we just come before you, Lord, and we ask that our hearts, that you would help our hearts be ready to receive the implanted word, that uh, there would be no offense and no hurt today, that uh, they would rise to the challenge that you are setting before us, that we would just take the life that you have given us and give it all we've got. Lord, and spread it around everywhere we go, Lord. We surrender to you, to your Holy Spirit right now, and you, we ask that you would open our eyes and open our ears to what you want to have done and what you want to say this morning. And we ask all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right. So you guys get ready? Woo, yeah. So I'll open up with this. You are welcome to amen, stand up, shout, wave a hanky, whatever, whatever you are excited to do. Please don't be a distraction, but uh, that is always a help. Amen? Amen. Amen. Yeah, you guys got this. So uh, today, I, I want you to, to do this, if you are willing, please. Imagine with me that you were there on the day of Pentecost, and the city is in shock and awe of what is happening. Just imagine this with me. You're there. And everyone is able to hear in their own language, because of the gift of tongues, the wonderful works of God. And you got to hear the sound of a rushing wind. You got to see the Holy Spirit descend like a fire and set on people. And you got to see Peter stand up and proclaim the miraculous, undeniable signs are merely part of what was prophesied to happen. That Jesus is, in fact, the risen Son of God. And he has sent his Holy Spirit to dwell in men. And 3,000 people turned to Jesus. Woo! 3,000 people turn to Jesus. In that day, they turn away from everything else and they choose to be baptized right then into following Jesus. And you know in your heart that not only is God doing something, but things will never be the same. Now keep imagining with me, it's a week after this happened, which works because we celebrated Pentecost a week ago. And after you've seen all these things happen, and you know God wants to move, He is moving, you have a chance to be a part of something that's greater than yourself, and a chance to be a part of something that ages of people have waited and wanted to see, and you have seen it. Imagine that. What is next? What is next? The week after Pentecost. I'm going to ask you, as you were imagining, what are you doing in this scenario? It's the week after all of these things have happened. The city is in an just an uproar. People have witnessed signs and wonders. The entire city is in awe of what's happening. And you also see the disdain from religious people. They're wanting to stop it all. And things are just erupting like never before. What are you doing? Just think about that for a moment. What are you doing? 
There's some fear. There's some restructuring of priorities. There's some wonder. And there's that unknown feeling. Like, I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's going to happen next. But church, you get to decide. You get to decide what you are going to do next. You see, in our scenario, some people went home. For whatever reason, families, jobs, responsibilities. And some people stuck around for a while and then had to leave for pressing things. And then some people abandoned everything. And they decided they wanted to be a part of a God-ordained, God-centered movement that changed the world. If that is not inspiring... Does anyone want to change the world? I'm going to take just a break from my notes for a moment and tell you that I have always wanted to do something with my life that would change the world. I think as people of God, that purpose should be in us. Whether it be in a, in a tiny village church in Alaska or it be in the, the largest church in America or the world, God has a purpose that we can change things. And you're meant to change things around you. So I ask you, what are you doing today? A week after Pentecost, what have you chosen? Who have you chosen to be? Obviously, the title of today's message is, What's Next? My wife came up with that. But I'll subtitle it, The Week After Pentecost. The week after Pentecost. And our passage today is in the second chapter of Acts. You're welcome to turn there. Second chapter of Acts, verses 40 through 47, so the end of the chapter. And I want to note that there's, there's no exact times in the book of Acts. We don't know when exactly things are happening, but the context of our passage would lead me to believe that it's days or at most weeks from the day of Pentecost happening. And I want us to see... What happens to the first church after a move of God? And what happens to them that kept them experiencing a move of God? Do you want to keep experiencing a move of God? Uh, I think we need a bigger amen. Can I get a bigger amen? Do you want a move of God this morning? Awesome. Well, God's going to hold you to that. Like, I'm not going to hold you. God's going to hold you to that. If you just amend, you're, I hope you didn't do it just out of... And of reflex. But if we learn those two things, we too can be used by God. In Acts chapter 2, verses 40 through 47, we're going to read that whole passage. It says, And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, 
praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. As we get into this, that last phrase is why we're, I'm preaching on this. The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. That should be at the heart of what we're doing. The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. I want to see that. Does anyone else want to see that? Now, I want to, I want to recognize today the sharp contrast in the early church compared to those around them. You see, it was easy to tell who a Christian was. Many commentators believe that there was almost a visible distinction. Maybe it was just the Spirit of God on people that they stood out that much. And to many, this was an attractive quality. And to many, this was a despised quality. And I bring this up because we need to recognize that in our own world today that the line is growing tighter. That if you are a Christian, the world is ever increasingly requiring you to live like it. To live like it. And while I think some of our first reaction is to not like that, <laughs> we don't want to be told what to do, especially as Americans, and the uncomfortableness that comes with it. But I believe, and watch this, the Spirit is rejoicing over an awakening church. I'm going to say that again. The Spirit is rejoicing over an awakening church. An awakening church. If you're asleep right now or if someone next to you, just give them a little elbow and say, the church is awakening. You need to as well. And as we steadily approach the coming of Christ, we will be and should be emboldened as a church. Emboldened as a church. What does that take? The question is really the same question I asked you before, and that is, what are you doing the week after Pentecost? Has anything changed? Has anything changed? And I ask you that because I ask myself that. In this last week, what have I done differently? You see, for me, there's always the desire for God to move. What's harder is enacting on that desire and stepping out, cutting things out of my life, doing things that are uncomfortable. Where I am today, I want it to be different than it was last week. Where are you today? What, what have you chosen? And to look in greater detail of the first church, the short time after Pentecost, and Pentecost, if you don't know, is just when the Spirit fell on the church with the purpose of indwelling and empowering for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Indwelling and empowering. Does anyone have a spirit this morning? Ooh, I've had a few of us. Well, we are a spirit-filled church. So if you don't have the spirit, we're going to pray for you after church, that you would be filled with the spirit. Is, is anyone's spirit responding to mine this morning or responding to the Holy Spirit this morning? We're a spirit-filled church. We want to be that way. But there are four ways that I, I believe in this passage it says that the church was able to foster and grow in what God was doing. These four ways 
that allowed them continue to continue to experience God's miraculous power. In church, I don't see God's miraculous power enough. I see it in creation and all this, but I'm talking about in my life and even in our church. Do we believe in healing this morning? I know there are people that need to be healed. So when we pray for them, they should be healed. And people should be set free when we pray for them. Things should be happening. We, we should be getting words, prophetic words, tongues, interpretations, whatever's in the Bible, in the New Testament church, I believe is for today. It doesn't say that it stops. And the Spirit came to indwell in men. And I believe if we take these to heart, we too will walk in the power of God. It just depends on what we decide to do. For these four points of an awakened church, I want to I press into verse 42 this morning. Verse 42. And I want us to keep in mind, this is right after those 3,000 people turned to follow Jesus. And you had ones that had been following him for his whole ministry. You had ones that had just committed to following him. But they're doing the same thing together. And I want to just bring that up. They're doing the same thing together. And it didn't matter who they were. It didn't matter how old they were. It didn't matter how long they had known Jesus. Everyone was doing the same thing. The Lord moves in a unified church. Oh, can, we, can we have a little unity and amen? Amen. Yes. Yeah, feel free to shout those out. People, people around you will, will catch on. They'll catch on that you've got the fire of God this morning and you want things to happen. Yes. So we see the Holy Spirit falls. Signs and wonders are happening. 3,000 people are saved. How does the church respond? The first thing they respond with, it says in verse 42, is that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and teaching. And that word steadfastly means it refers to those who continually insist on something or stay close to someone. Those who continually insist on something or stay close to someone. If you want a good picture of that, think of a five-year-old child that will not stop asking you questions. That eagerness, that excitement, I want to know more about this. I want to know more. And so the people of the, the early church pursued heavily, insisted on, would not leave with the desire to know more about God and thereby know him more. And is that our heart today? When we were imagining a moment ago, are you that person in this scenario that just wants to know more about God. You can't get enough of the word. Are you that person? Or did you used to be that person? The teachings they taught were a full account of Jesus' life. That's all the things he taught. He taught about the Old Testament, all the parables that he would teach. They were a word-centered church a word-centered church. They craved it. They couldn't get enough of it. And, and watch this. Get this. To better know Jesus, we must better know the word. He is the word. 
get ready for, for this. You can write this down. This is a convicting statement. When we refuse to read our Bibles, we refuse to know him more. When we refuse to read the word, we refuse to want to know Jesus more. They wanted to receive the word. They wanted to retain the word, and they wanted to act on the word. And I know those three things are hard. Especially when you first come to Christ, you just want to do all of it. But sometimes it's hard. The older you get, the more comfortable you want to be. Like, not just in the word, but I'm talking about life. Like, I've never liked naps until now. Like, sometimes you just need a nap. And I've been told it, it gets worse. <laughs> you want a second nap. But we cannot abide in Jesus or walk in the power of the Holy Spirit unless we apply the word and the teachings of Christ. The early church was able to, to balance the prophetic words and the, the gifts and the signs and the wonders. And this is important because they conserved the role of teaching. It's so important to have the word. A church can get off theologically when we don't have the word. If all we ever had was signs and wonders and prophetic words, I'm, I'm sure it would be a, a fun time. But it brings you too close to falling away from what the Lord has for you. You can get caught up in so many things. And church, we want everything that the Spirit has for us. We want to operate in every gift of the Holy Spirit, but it is always and will always be in this church centered on the Word. It's centered on the Word. We receive it, we retain it, and we act on it, the Word. And the, the best way to, to do teachings and receive teachings and to be taught, you have to have fellowship, and that's the second thing. You can't do it without people. So fellowship with the brethren, which is just a fancy way of saying that we're committed to being together. We're committed to being together. From that moment on in the early church, they centered their lives around Christ and his church. And there's, there's something there that is easily lost. Like it, it can be for any of us. It's so easy just to decide that something else is more important than the Lord. And his church. I'll tell you that when, you, when you're gone, you are missed. Not just because you have a beautiful face, but because the gifts that the Lord has imparted to you are meant for the body. And when you're missing, that part of the body is missing. And we miss you. We need you. You're an important part of this body. And I want to help advance the kingdom like that being part of the body. And it, it wasn't just the apostles and the leaders that hung out together. It was everyone every day. And they loved it. In church, I, I grew up going to church like four or five times a week. <laughs> I was actually homeschooled for a couple years. I homeschooled at the church. Like, I lived at the church. So I, I know if... if if anyone was to say, I've spent too much time in the church, it was me. Like, I, I slept on pews and chairs. And at that time, I remember uh, we were experiencing a, a great move of God. 
And so people would be there to one or two in the morning. And as a kid, so would I. And that was okay. I tell you this, I pray I never come to the point where I don't want to be here on a regular basis. Because at that moment, just for myself, I know that there's something wrong in my heart. And I don't always necessarily like being here because sometimes it's hard to lead or sometimes we have probably a thousand different projects for building maintenance that we can do. And with that, I just want to thank the men that showed up yesterday to the work day. And uh, if, if you weren't able to make it, you guys missed out. We had just a great time. Uh, just, it's good to get to know people and hang out with people. But church, I belong here and so do you. I belong here and so do you. If you don't feel that way, I want you to know that we love you and that you are a part of this church and you need to come around more so that we can get to know you better. So we can get to know you better. So the Lord can use you. You are a part of his body, his church. You are important. And fellowship is not communal living. So I don't want you to get afraid of that. We're not going to ask you to sleep here. But it does develop a strong sense of community. And we were not meant to live alone. We were meant to have time together, to share, to have a common purpose, a common vision, a common goal. And church, I, I want you to think about this. The vision of this church, just in part, is to see our valley saved. It's for the people of Wasilla and hopefully the people of this state and in the world. We, we would love to see and send out missionaries to villages. I'm going to ask you this, is that your vision? Because that's the vision of this church. It needs to be yours. We need to be a unified church so that we can see things happen. It's the vision of this church. The early church viewed everything with a new mindset, a different mindset than had ever been before. And that mindset was this, that their time, their possessions, their own bodies were all a resource for God to use in advancing his kingdom. And they were excited about it. They just wanted to be used. And get this, they were open and honest with each other. I often have to have hard conversations with people because of my role here. Uh, and usually they turn out good because we always grow in that way. But in those moments, we have to show vulnerability. We have to, we have to love someone enough to, to talk with them, to speak truth. But people in the early church would meet in the temple to worship, and they would receive teachings, and uh, they'd meet other places to, to do these as well. But then they would take those teachings and those discussions to one another's home and to other places. There's accounts of them just walking down the road talking about Jesus. And this type of thing brought them together as a community. 
It brought them together as a community. One of the best things I've heard is from some of the people in our life groups. We broke for the summer, and when we told them that we were breaking, they said no. (laughs) We're not breaking. We're going to meet with each other in people's houses, and that's what the church is. That's what the church is. We're meant to do life with people because church as we know it today is not enough. It's not enough on a Sunday morning if I'm looking at the early church. But just like the first church, we can gather together in a central location like we're doing this morning, but we have to take the conversation home and with other people. I know that can be challenging, but we build the family bond that the Spirit creates when we're together. When we're together. And that's why we can call each other brother and sister or mother and father in the faith. Like I look around, there's, there's lots of people I know here that I would call a brother and sister in the faith or a mom and dad in the faith. And I can start naming people in a good way. But I want to ask you this. Do you have relationships like that? Do you have mom and dads in the faith? Brothers and sisters in the faith that you actually treat like a brother and sister. Like There's people here that I don't mind teasing or poking or whatever else because they're my brother and sister in the faith. Like my, my actual biological sisters, like it doesn't matter what I do to them, right? You can have fun. And you're meant to have fun with your family, This is your family. But it's up to you. You can be that estranged family member that's kind of weird. Or you can realize that we are accepting all the weirdness you've got. And we still like you. Amen? Yeah, that's a great thing. You can be weird. But one of the best ways to do this is to break bread with people. And that's the third way. The third way to foster what God is wanting to do is to break bread with people. How many people like to eat? Oh, I know more of you guys like to eat. Like, I've eaten with some of you, and you ordered way too much food. (laughs) And we, we do also have to be careful with this. Like, just as the church, we've been accused of gluttony. And so we need to be better about that. But... This is in the Bible that we are supposed to break bread with people. And the Holy Spirit works through that. The Holy Spirit, you can be spirit-filled while you're eating. Amen? Amen. And scholars argue over the exact meaning of this. Some think it's communion. Some think it was a feast. Some think it was regularly eating together. And whatever you... Decide on that is fine, but that's not the purpose. Because all three of those areas are important. All three of those areas are important. The thing to realize here is what the church was focused on. They're focused on an expressed thankfulness for God and for others and for anything else while they're eating. And it's it's a depending on one another. It's not focused on the where you're doing it. It's focused on the who you're doing it with. The who you're doing it with. It's tied closely to fellowship because you're meant to do it together. You can't break bread with people 
without people. And when you do this, there is an opening of relationship and a, a vulnerability when you eat with somebody. It's, it's a part of basically every culture in the world. And even in heaven, there is a table and a feast. And you won't be by yourself. And it is all centered on the Lord. And it, this would take place wherever Christians met. They would just remember the Lord. So it's whenever and wherever. They were centered on the Lord. It's like, it's like this. When I talk to a car guy, we talk about cars. When I talk to somebody who loves hunting and fishing, we usually talk about that. Or sports or music. Uh, whatever hobby you have, like, we'll talk about it. We have things in common. And it's a good gauge of what is important in your life, what you talk about the most. How much does the Lord come up in your conversation? Somebody just said, ouch, out there, I think. It's MJ. <laughs> but I have to ask myself that question. How much does the Lord come up in my conversation? Does it circle back to him? And I'm not saying every single thing you have to, have to say is about the Lord. Like, it's fun to talk about music and sports and cars or hunting and fishing, uh, whatever else, whatever hobby you have. It's fun to talk about those things. But when you know the Lord closely, your heart is pulled back to him. Even in those things. So you're talking about sports or whatever, and you just find yourself talking about the Lord. Let's open up our lives to God moving by opening up ourselves and our homes. I'm going to say that again because it's challenging. Let's open up our lives to God moving by opening up ourselves and our homes. As a family of God, we have to be open and vulnerable enough to let people in. It's, it's my immediate family that knows me the best because I open up to things with them. They know my history. They know what I'm dealing with now. They know what I want to see in my future. And those are great things to talk about. But you have to be in relationship with people. And as the church draws closer to each other, and as we center on Jesus, as we have fellowship with each other, we see in the early church prayer. Their prayer life was radically different. And that's the fourth way of allowing God to continue to move in an awakened church. The first church spent a lot of time in prayer, and this was convicting to me. Because as I, I was studying, a lot of them kept to the Jewish custom of praying three times a day. And I'm not talking about the five seconds before your meal. I'm talking about prayer, where you go in and you spend time before the Lord by yourself and with other people. It was a high priority, both privately and in groups. One commentator states this. You're welcome to write this down because this is good. Where there is much prayer, 
there is much activity of the Holy Spirit. Where there is much prayer, there is much activity of the Holy Spirit. I tell people all the time that I want to be used by God, that I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But the action of seeing that in my life is prayer. The action of seeing that in my life is prayer. Prayer is our source for intimacy with God. Prayer is our source for intimacy with God. And we should, by all things in prayer, move forward and advance the kingdom. The kingdom advances through your prayer. And it doesn't say specific prayers. And I think that's important because there were probably some Jewish prayers. There were probably some modified traditional prayers. There were prayers from one's own heart. There are spirit-led and inspired prayers. It doesn't say we have to pray a certain way. It just says the church prayed. Privately, corporately, are we a praying church? Are you a praying person? These are all things the church is meant to be doing. And we as Christians are meant to be doing, but we will have to be doing them more as the world is questioning more now than ever who we really are. Who are you really? Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Is that evident that you are a Christian? We saw that 3,000 people were added. And then an additional 2,000 people were added after that. And I ask us this. Why not here? Just imagine that. We're imagining a lot this morning. Why not here? Why not you? Why not you? I, I believe wholeheartedly God is asking us right, that question right now. You. You could be used. You could walk up to somebody in the Holy Spirit's power, pray for them, and see them healed. You. Do you want it? Do you want it? We have a chance to step into whatever God wants, to see thousands of people saved if we want that. Do we want it? But what it takes is a unified church. A unified church that is willing to come together to see it happen. And if we want it, we have to commit to it. And we even have to repent for not doing it. I've, I've repented a lot of times in my life. <laughs> but I want God to move. I want to have a right heart that is ready for him to move to tell me anything and just to do it with the expectation that God wants to move. Let's say that again. The expectation that God wants to move. Do you have that expectation this morning? Being a Christian is not easy, but is the best thing that you will ever do with your life is the absolute best thing. And we have a great church here. Amen? 
a great church and filled with wonderful, God-fearing people. And I am so grateful to be a part of it. But I think there's some things that we can do better. And I pray and I ask you to take that as a challenge, not to be offended whatsoever. But there are some things that I'm saying I can do better. Or in reality, I can let the Lord do in me. Because I can't do it on my own. I think that there are people that need more teaching. And I think there are people that need to receive, remember, and act on that teaching. And there are people that might not feel a part of the church. And so that there are people that need to reach out and grab those people and make them feel a part of the church. Or maybe people that need to open up more so that you can feel a part. Maybe people that need to be more vulnerable. We can't grow without accountability and someone speaking into our life. And if we're not coming together on a regular basis, well, that's the easiest way not to be accountable to anyone. But we need greater fellowship. You're needed. You're wanted. And there might be people that need to break bread with other people. To focus on the Lord at all times and to have those tough, open, honest conversations. And then there might be people that that need to pray more, that need to step into that, what God has called us to do. Imagine, again, what the church could accomplish if we dedicated more time to prayer, to intimacy with our Father. The Spirit moves in our prayers, and we advance the kingdom in our prayers. We gain the heart of God in our prayers. These are the questions we must ask ourselves and our church if we want to move forward. I'm going to invite the worship team to come nice and early. You guys, I know, like when I preach for that reason. But I want to challenge you to start today. I want to challenge you to start today. It's, it's like a diet. You don't necessarily want to do it. But if you don't start it, you're just never going to get there. I didn't hear any amens on the dieting. <laughs> but I want to challenge you with this. In whatever way the Lord is moving your heart, answer. Answer. Let's be like the early church today. And that, that might be taking someone out to eat after service. Or that might be inviting someone to your home. This week, you might be getting involved more here, joining a small group, choosing to commit to this body of believers. It might be coming to prayer tonight. I'll challenge you guys with that. I'm going to be bold enough to say that. You should be at prayer tonight. Let's rock this place with how many people show up at prayer tonight and advance the kingdom of God. Let's be the church that allows God to move. It's the week after Pentecost Sunday. 
What are you going to do? What is next? And you guys can feel free to go ahead and play. If God is moving on your heart to respond to this, then I'm going to ask you to respond. I'm going to ask everybody to stand up if you will. But let's be like the first church that was not afraid to stand out. So if you want to respond to this, I'm going to ask you to have a, a certain level of accountability by getting out of your chair. Because like we mentioned before, the world is ever increasingly expecting you to look like a Christian. And if you're not ready for that, let's get that way. If you're not ready to that, let's get that way. What's next the week after Pentecost? You're welcome to come forward. If you need healing, if you just need someone to, to pray with you or to speak with you, the prayer team, go ahead and come up forward and around the, the back. And we're going to see a move of God. We are seeing God move already. Church, do you want that? Do you want that? Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to connecting with you next time. And don't forget, you can support us by giving through the Church Center app or by going online at summitwc.com give.